So tonight, uh, I'd like to begin by just by saying, as you know, in a few days, in a few days, people will be celebrating, won't they? Maybe. Maybe on Zoom. But they'll be celebrating what I'd call a complicated holiday. <clears throat> it's complicated, isn't it? If we really slow down to know the history of it. Which, you know, in, in one way, this holiday of Thanksgiving, it, it celebrates the beautiful qualities of gratitude and generosity. And I think that's a beautiful thing to do, to celebrate just those qualities of the heart. This is part of our spiritual practice to celebrate those. And yet at the same time, it's a complicated holiday because it's also been a harmful attempt to kind of pass over or to sanitize this nation's kind of history of brutal colonization. You know, the, the story that we get kind of skips over so many important facts about the kind of the domination and oppression and genocide that this nation is built upon. So tonight, what I'd like to do is, is I want to um, talk about gratitude and generosity, actually in particular generosity, and how it allows our hearts to move in a different direction than this nation's history of colonization. And I want to be clear, I'm not saying that generosity solves all the current problems in the complexity of colonization. That would be so foolish. But I do feel like it offers small steps in a different direction than harmful behavior. And I think this is why I'm so moved by generosity, because I, I think it, it can be maybe a small steps as a kind of corrective. So generosity, and I want to begin by situating generosity on the spiritual path. As the Buddha points out again and again, generosity is the foundation of this path. And it creates the foundation of meditation as well. So hopefully that will come out in what I share with you this evening. And you could say it's, it's one of the expressions or embodiments of this path and this practice. So how is it a foundation? And what comes to mind is I remember when I uh, started to learn the piano again. I, I played the piano a little bit when I was younger and then later on uh, I tried to take it up again. And I had this wonderful teacher the second time around and he was extremely gifted, gifted pianist and so generous to me. Talk about generosity. What I do is I uh, help him with his concerts, like handing out the programs and uh, he'd give me free lessons, which I really appreciated. And I remember the first lessons with, were, with him were, you could say on the surface, really simple. It was just playing scales. And then in the scales, we really, he really wanted me to get a sense of the kind of the wrists and the positions of the hands and the fluidity of the fingers. So just with the wrists, it was amazing how much time he took with making sure my wrists were loose enough and there was a fluidity in the fingers. And then also, which where I remember learning it, felt so strange to me, but so important, was the, was the breath. 
how I was breathing with the music. And taking time with that, it created the foundation so that the music had a vibrancy to it, a depth to it. And I needed to get that foundation down for that to happen. And I think it's the, the, the same thing of what we're doing here. If, if I can get the feeling sense of generosity, how it moves my heart in a particular way, I get to understand this path and practice, and I get to understand uh, meditation in a different way as well. Because it's creating a foundation, you could say, in the heart. Not intellectually, but more, you could say, bodily or heart-wise. So what is this foundation that the practice of generosity might provide for us on a spiritual path? And I think what I learn is I learn the joy of letting go and offering, offering and receiving. Sometimes we're, we're emphasizing more the offering and generosity. And this creates a foundation. And what I want to point out, a foundation in joy. Have you ever noticed that when you give and the heart is, is kind of full of generosity, it feels good, doesn't it? I love it. And I think this is important, just, you know how Buddhism is. We love to talk about suffering and challenge and all the bad things. <laughs> you probably hear me talk about that all the time. And so there can be the sense that that's what it's about. And truly what it's about is it's about deeper and deeper levels of joy and contentment. And this is what I'm practicing in generosity that I want to come back to, and we might even practice it together, is learning to feel the goodness, how good it feels to be generous, how it lights up my heart, and to land that in the body. And I'm looking for that in meditation too, in all aspects of this, of this path. So joy. And then a particular kind of joy, because it's around letting go and also offering. So yeah, everything that I share tonight, it could be framed in terms of acquisition, and maybe that's a frame that can help in certain contexts. The Buddha uses it actually. But I find the frame of letting go really helpful for understanding the path and understanding meditation. And there's a kind of offering also that happens on this path. So, so first, offering. It, the, the image that I want to share with you that I find uh, has been so powerful for me is kind of the iconic image that you find in Theravada Buddhism, which is the offering of food to monastics. And I don't know if you've ever done this before, to, to literally take food and to place it into a bowl of a monastic is quite moving. And remember how fundamental food is in terms of relationality. And it's through food that, that is, it can sometimes be the most powerful thing that we offer and receive. And I remember this, there was a, a, a month-long retreat I was doing with Ajahn Suchito and every morning there would be a few of us who would offer him food. And I wish I could explain it to you, but for me, it was so emotionally moving Here's this monastic living, you know, a renunciate life, and then to offer him food, and he's not saying anything. I can put anything I want in his bowl. He is just receiving. And I can't tell you, there was something about the image of that, of the bowl, of it being open, and that offering, and my chance to offer that moved my heart. 
So I think there's something really powerful about this act of offering. And on a deeper level, I want to point out that that's one way to understand what it is for us to be engaged in this activity of living. What gives meaning to your life? And probably part of what gives meaning to your life, I'm guessing here, but I'm going to make a little guess here, is that it has to do with what you can offer to the world. Whether it be your kind attention, or helping out in some way, or even picking up trash, being kind. Have you noticed that? That what you offer, this, this, this chance to offer, enlivens our lives. And this is something that I just want to leave with you as a question is, is what does your heart really want to offer into this world in this short life that you have? And I want to be super clear when I ask this, it doesn't have to be grand. Like sometimes the idealistic grand ideas can be so oppressive. I'm more curious about your heart. What does it really want to offer? What does it make, what, what, is it, what makes it come alive? And it might be really that the offering is what gives your life meaning. And yeah, receiving is important, but it's that act of offering. So here we can already hear some of the foundation of just in the offering, how powerful that can be. And then letting go. Feels good to let go. I can let go of my self-centric world that I live in. So one story about this that I think captures some of this quality that also will tie into the practice of meditation. I remember I was out in California and I was uh, helping a friend. His, his wife had recently died and I'd gone, I'd gone for a walk. And so I was walking around and I had my hat on and there was some guy on the side of the street and he's like, hey, I like your hat. He said, not only, not only like it, did he say, I like your hat, I like your hat, and you should give me your hat. And uh, so I gave him my hat. And it was an interesting process just in those few seconds that I want to share about letting go. It was a hat that I really, really liked. And for me, I want to point out, that might be kind of a cheap, cheapskate, but it felt like I'd spent a lot of money on this hat. And of course, what through my, went through my mind is like, I'm going to still be here and for a few days. I'm not going to have a hat. So here is my mind trying to hold on. And here is someone that said, hey, I want your hat. I was holding on and it felt so good just to let go. It felt much better than the holding on. It, it was actually a relief. Once I gave it to him, I was like, Wow, this feels so good. This feels so much better than having a hat. And yet I know my mind can get lost in, I need to hold on. And yes, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I, I want to also say that our giving should be infused with wisdom in the sense of, yeah, there's a place to take care of ourselves. I'm not talking about being extreme, but this was a place where 
I could easily take, give my hat. And what happened? We had such a sweet connection after this. Maybe I'll get to the story, but we, you know, I kept on running into him. And he was so pleased. He was, he was happier with my hat than I was with my hat. And, and this is what's happening, you could say, in meditation. You ever notice this? Your mind gets lost in thought. And yeah, it's a different kind of process. It's not as easy as giving somebody your hat. I wish letting go of thinking would be that easy. So I want to acknowledge there's kind of a disjunct here. But when I engage in the process of stepping out of my kind of obsessive stories, when I really let go of that world, when I offer it back, where it's like, I don't need to hold on to this. It feels so good. You ever have that, ever have that experience in meditation where it's like your mind is caught and it's lost? And then it's like, yeah, it, this is not worth me worrying about for another two hours <laughs> sitting on my meditation cushion. And then finally the heart gets, gets it and it releases. There's freedom in that. It's the freedom of, of letting go. And sometimes it's a letting go where there's still that activity there. Like sometimes there's an emotion that's coming up for me, anxiety. And if I can stop being as entangled in it, where there's a more of an openness, it can feel like there's more space for the heart to be there in a way. But what holds me back a lot of times is I'm afraid to do that. I'm holding on. Now, there's a great hike. Haiku poem by uh, Basho. He's, uh, he wrote it when he was on this pilgrimage. And so you have to imagine this. Maybe I'll share it with you and then give you my, my interpretation. Just three lines. First line, exhausted, seeking an inn, seeking in a hotel, I can say. And then the last line, wisteria flowers. Exhausted. Seeking an inn, wisteria flowers. For me, what I imagine was going on for Basho when he wrote this down is, I imagine here he is on this long pilgrimage up north in Japan. And he's on the road and he's exhausted. And not only is he exhausted, he's, he's worried. He, he can't find a place to sleep that night. And then what he sees in front of him is, ah, wisteria flowers. He steps out, he lets go of his sense of self-centric world, and his heart opens in some way. Hopefully you're hearing in this how offering and receiving are so intertwined in this way. When I let go of my hat, I receive something. When I let go of the obsession, I receive something. So powerful. And it's transformative. Maybe I should just finish the story of the guy. So what happened is I kept on seeing him and he's like, uh, I need to give you one of my hats. <laughs> and so one time my partner was there and we walked over to um, his very, very humble abode. I mean, he did not have very much at all. It was a very, I think it was a, a, a something run by the city, very small room, little bathroom. 
and he was so it was so sweet. He was so excited to bring us up up there and had this great picture of Miles Davis. He told me the story of meeting Miles Davis, which I thought was fantastic. And then he had, I think, two hats. And he says, you pick. You get to have one of my hats and you decide. So I put both of them on and then my partner Robin and him decided, you know, which one looked better on me. So it was going back and forth like that. And just the connection that came from both of us letting go. And I, I, I tell you, it was one of the more powerful gifts I've ever gotten because of that. There's this whole world that opens up in offering and receiving. And these whole worlds that can open up on this path when we get this as a foundation, that this is really what's going on. So how is this a little bit of a different direction than how colonization works? So colonization in its extreme, some of it is, it's not about offering or giving, it's about domination. And when you think of the history of colonization, often it's, I know what you need. This is how Christianity was pushed in some kind of way. Or boarding schools, or as I mentioned before, I know the language that you should be speaking. So do you hear, this is really about domination and control. Even in current situations, and I know this is maybe contentious, but just when you, you know, the, the, the conflict around um, the snowball, you know, a conflict that's been going on since 1968, when the snowball first gained acreage in the, in the Forest Service. And I think the Hopi tribe was the first tribe to put out a lawsuit in the following years of, of saying, hey, this is, this is sacred land to us, sacred property. Can you understand that, that there's some kind of harm going on? And then what wins out? Money, economy, more than kind of really the heart and soul of a tribe of people who have been so often erased or invisibilized. That's different. That's the opposite of generosity. It's the opposite of also what I'll get to is a kind of reciprocity. But I want to wait on that a little bit and how that ties in. What I want to invite you to do right now is, I wonder if we can do this in the chat boxes, which is, just to put in the chat box of a brief example of, of when you've given something that was powerful for you, how it filled your heart. And also it has some edge to it, maybe like some edge like I have my hat and I don't want to let go of it, but when I do, I can feel it. It required something of you. And I want to be, again, really clear. It doesn't have to be grand. You know, this is super important. It could be something really small. You know, so, so maybe it could just be a sentence. Like I, like I said, I gave someone a hat or I gave someone my kind attention in this way, a sentence in the chat box, just so we can see these things. And I want to acknowledge, you know, some of you have done, you know, some grand giving or grand generosity, like bringing a human being into the world and then <laughs> caring for them for 20 or maybe 30 years. 
Yeah, and just to see this, really just to offer something here. It's so beautiful. A Tibetan bracelet to a woman who was homeless. Yeah. Yeah, giving up meditation retreat time to help a hungry home, homeless family. And it can, again, it could be super simple, like picking up a piece of trash or whatever it is. Just be willing to share just one or two things there. Yeah, there's a kind of, thanks Brian for saying that, there's a kind of vulnerability that I'm asking of people and I uh, appreciate you you sharing that. Uh, because uh, in, in some ways there is something about, there's something vulnerable about, uh, about giving and receiving. Giving my time to orphans, thanks. Helping a student in crisis, though it made me miss my yoga class. I started giving a dollar to whoever asking, was asking for money on the street, stopped worrying about what they would do with it. Thanks for that, Yansu, yeah. Which I wanna point out, which is a great thing, is how the worry is a kind of holding on, like I was holding on my hat, and there's something relieving about letting go like that. Donating blood. This is great. A friend gave me a ticket to a concert by Billy Bragg, second row, because she couldn't go, which she was really bummed out about. After the show, I waited in line for 45 minutes to ask him to sign my ticket, a whole page printout. He wrote her a short letter saying how he was sorry she couldn't make it. The show was great, but giving her that was even better. Oh, wow. That's a great story. Thanks for that, Jay. Thanks for the depth of this, Lou. Like learning to give myself what I need. Yeah. Yeah, giving a gift to someone who was angry with, letting go of the anger with a gift. That's beautiful. Yeah. Thanks for those who you're willing to share. I just really appreciate that. I give people things of mine when they say I like something I have. Always have done this. What a beautiful practice, yeah. And what's most important about these is I just invite you just to, uh, can you read these and take in how they feel? And I wanna acknowledge, you know, for many of you, it might feel really good and sweet to, to read these and others, it might be complicated. Giving and receiving can be a really complex thing. But what's it like to open your heart to some of these stories here? There's, there's something that can be so sweet about that. And that's what's important is learning this practice of taking these into your hearts. Yeah, so can you follow your impulse to give? And yes, not so much that we're jeopardizing ourselves. Giving all your time to something where you're extremely exhausted doesn't make sense. Thanks, Brian. Giving money to Vaisitos last year when the retreat was canceled. Thanks so much for that. Yeah. Another thing of when there's a, a time of need like that. I'm giving, it to, giving a man on the street in Mexico who was washing windshields my Virgin de Guadalupe had. He complimented me on it and said his mom was named Guadalupe. That's yeah. So again, back to 
colonization a little bit, how often what's underlying colonization, especially in this country, is ownership, owning land. And it's a possession in a way that creates harm. When you think about the history of this nation, pushing tribes out of their ancestral lands, or in terms of the history of cheating and stealing and lying as a way of getting that land. That's different. That's not giving. That's stealing. That's oppression. And there's a deeper level to this. There's a professor um, by the name of Kim Tallbear. I don't know if any of you know her. She's a, I really appreciate her writing and her, her insight. Um, and indigenous woman who writes about indigenous issues. And she takes it a step further. She, she's, uh, uh, she has this great website called Critical Polyamory. So she's really into polyamory. And it's interesting how she explains it. She says, you know, uh, first of all, she, she finds, there's just one perspective, monogamy has an oppressive quality to it because what can be intertwined in it for her is a sense of ownership. So that's where a lot of marriage comes from, right? Owning another person, namely often, you know, a woman in this way. And so she resists that idea. And she says, how can I say that I'm just in relationship to this person when I also am in a relationship with my daughter? And I also have a relationship with the sky and the tree and the trees and the rivers. That's her understanding of the kind of the depth of what it means, polyamory. I'm not just in love with this person I'm living with, but with my daughter and the sky and the trees and the rivers. And often the resistance around polyamory is that, the, that our minds can get so hyper-focused on sex and sexuality as if that's the central piece in relationships. And she sees this really as more of an indigenous perspective. And monogamy for her really comes from kind of this settler colonial way of, uh, colonized way of thinking. Going beyond ownership into relationship, relationality. And I think she's pointing to me to something about generosity that, that I, I find so important, which is this sense of reciprocity. Like here at uh, Flagstaff Insight Meditation Community, we're trying to cultivate this community of reciprocity that we freely offer. We're freely offering everything that's here. And I love this as a basis that we're not going to charge. And some of that is just so that this is accessible on the socioeconomic spectrum, which I think is really important. And what I found is it teaches me about reciprocity. And this is what I love about this tradition, is that it's freely offered, but, but this community is dependent upon all of us in terms of volunteering, in terms of financial uh, support. And it's through that reciprocity that we move forward. Just that, as that monk, Ajahn Suchito, he's dependent upon me giving him food. Like if someone doesn't give him food before 12 noon, and I know he's done this, he doesn't eat. And so his entire life is situated in terms of this sense of reciprocity. 
the sense that we're, we're in this together, that we're intertwined together. And I feel like consumerism, it blinds me to reciprocity. It blinds me to the multiple relationships that are in everything. Because what I do is if, if I want something, I just give money, but I don't have a sense of the relationship at all. This is so different. I think this is the cool thing about what we're doing here through Flagstaff Insight Meditation Community. And so, you know, if you feel moved to give, you know, through volunteering in other ways, what I invite you to do, what's most important is, can you start to get a sense of the feeling of reciprocity and how that feels different than paying for something? You know, now what I do is, uh, I now incorporate this, like, whenever I go for a bike ride or a hike or I go climbing, it feels good. I just did this this afternoon. There's a part of my hike, I always carry extra water to make a water offering somewhere. Like there's this little place where I offer water where birds come. And, and I wanna be clear, it's not like my offering of water is going to solve the effects of climate change of, on the flora and fauna of our forests. But what it does remind me is that I'm in relationship with these forests. I gain so much from being in the natural world and I feel moved that I have to give something back. And yeah, even if it's quote unquote, not commensurate, it makes <clears throat> being in the forest or even taking a bike ride such a different experience. Or when my partner and I were on a retreat in the month of October, this is what we do every day. There's a, you know, there's a sharing the merit ritual that's a water offering. And it felt so good to be doing that or under each tree that I was meditating, I'd offer some water. Oh yeah, this is a relationship. This is a quality of reciprocity. How can you bring that alive in your life? What does it feel like? What does it teach you about meditation? What does it teach you about this path and about freedom? Okay, so now what we'll do is uh, let's just take a minute to stretch and move our bodies, say two minutes, and come back at 37 minutes past the hour at 7.35, and then I'll lead us in bringing this quality of generosity into our meditation. So just take two minutes to take care of the body and come back, uh, 7.35, 37 minutes past the hour, 7.35. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.